Alexa, what is the best podcast in the land? Here's pulling back the curtain podcast registered from Amazon Music. Playing the latest episode. This podcast is sponsored by Sumato Coffee. Sumato Coffee believes that coffee should be unique and high quality from bean to cup. Beyond that, it starts to become stale. At Sumato Coffee, they're incredibly concerned and transparent about when your coffee is roasted. That's why they put the roast date right on the bag. Pulling Back the Curtain podcast listeners receive a 20% discount off their order by using promo code BALLERSCOFFEE. To learn more about Sumato Coffee, please visit them at sumatocoffee.com. That's S-U-M-A-T-O-C-O-F-F-E-E.com. What's happening, people, and what you know good? We'd like to thank you for listening and spending your time with us. This is Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast, the most provocative, the most exciting, the baddest, baddest podcast in the land. We come with the dopest topics, hitting with the rawest opinion while giving you the straight-up facts. No fake news here. I'm Jules. I'm Press. We give sight to the blind, ladies and gentlemen. What up with it, what you know good and what it do. We'd like to thank you for tuning in and spending your time with us. You're listening to Pulling Back the Curtain podcast, the most provocative and entertaining podcast in this pandemic land. We're hitting you with the dopest topics, the rawest opinion, while giving you the straight up facts. That's right, no fake news here. I'm Jules St. James. I'm Dare Press. I'm Novak. We're giving sight to the blinds, ladies and gentlemen. On episode 15, we're pulling back the curtain on the state of Chicago Bulls. Today we have our first guest, Mr. Wonderful himself, Greg Mirage from Hoopball Chicago Podcast. Fellas, what's up? Greg, thanks for coming on today, man. How you doing? Gentlemen, it is great to be on with you today. I thoroughly enjoyed having you guys on the Hoopball Chicago Bulls podcast earlier this week. I'm excited to be on Pulling Back the Curtain. We've got a lot of fun things to talk about, and I just appreciate you guys giving me the time today. Yeah, not a problem. That, that uh, conversation we had the other day was was great, man, and I hope uh, your listeners enjoyed having us on. I know that they did. I know that they had a great time reminiscing about the last dance. But, you know, as Jules said in the intro, I think it is important now, given a lot of what's going on recently with news around the NBA, to talk about the current state of the Chicago Bulls, and I'm glad that we're going to have a chance to do that today. Agreed. Novak, how you doing over there? Oh, pretty good. Just excited to have Greg on the show today. Yeah, definitely a lot going on in the NBA. I think uh, what's going on with the Bulls is going to get really interesting, and just looking forward to talking about that with everybody. Well, man, well, shoot, let's let's get into it, man. So, you know, we we've had a lot of news that have come out about the Bulls you know, since the the league suspended. Greg, since you're our guest, I'm gonna let you jump in on this one first. What excites you most about the front office shake shakeup that we've seen recently? I want to look at the Denver Nuggets as the example for what makes me the most excited about the future of the Chicago Bulls. You have somebody in Arturis Karnaschovas that worked in a front office that has drafted and developed a team that has been, at least in my opinion, a top three team in the Western Conference each of the last two years. They found guys like 
Yusuf Nurkic and Nikola Jokic and honestly picking the pocket of Gary Harris from the Chicago Bulls, Jamal Murray. I mean, this is a team that was built from the ground up and with a coach in Michael Malone that knows how to adapt to his players. So what excites me the most is that the Bulls hired somebody that isn't in the aura of the 90s Bulls. You know, basically, since Reinsdorf owned the team, there have been two general managers, Jerry Krause and John Paxson. And I know that you say that Gar Foreman is actually the general manager or was, but in effect, the guy running the show is John Paxson. So when you bring in somebody like an Arturis Karnaschovas, who has the type of experience that he does in scouting and in international scouting, and in being able to help formulate a staff that can draft and develop, that's what excites me the most. When I see my vision for the future of the Chicago Bulls, what I see is the current Denver Nuggets 2.0. Well, you know what, Greg? If, if only that could come to fruition in the next three to four years, I think we would all be happy. <laughs> what do you think, no I definitely agree. I mean, I I can see Denver Nuggets part two. I mean, Greg, I think it's awesome you noticed about the the theft of uh, Gary Harris there. It was pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Jamal Murray, you think about it, it's been, it's been you know, started off a little bit slow, but he's been an awesome pro, you know, thus far. Uh, if the Bulls could get to that level, because you think Laurie Marketing, you know, asked for a tra- was going to ask for a trade before the, at the end of this year if we didn't change the directions of gears here. I think this kind of salvages a little bit of what we saw when we initially drafted from Arizona. I think it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I think the, the biggest specter here is what, who's going to coach this team right now. I love the front office shakeup, but that coaching thing just looms in the background right now with me. You got to have the right coach in order to get the most out of these guys right now. So I, I hear you on that. That Gary Harris uh, trade was, uh, that was painful, very painful. <laughs> yeah, I I, I, I second that with uh what Big G was talking about, man. You know the old management old management wasn't get was getting it done. Uh obviously the players stopped playing for him and stuff and don't have any confidence in and then uh and Paxson Pax can see the writing on the wall. So now now as an advisor, I guess the advisor for the Bulls, they bring in AK and AK bring in other people around them to build this team up and and one thing he did for Denver, he bought them from uh from you know, 2014 into now, that now, last year or last couple, couple of years, they've made it to the playoffs. So he built that team up. So he has an eye on, so he has an eye for uh, talent. You know, he brought in Murray and, 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 and Harris and stuff like that, and, you know, centers and, and, and Jockett and, you know, Joseph. So I'm kind of interested in the wait to see how, uh, what he's going to do to the Bulls. So that's that's my excitement of it. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's going to bring some, some talent and, and put these bulls up to, up to speed and get back on championship status. Uh, I, I hear you on that. I think for me, uh, looking at this move, and I, I do agree with you, Greg, uh, Gar Foreman really wasn't doing anything um, in that GM role for the Bulls. He was more of a glorified scout. I'm still glad to see the guy gone. Um, the thing that excites me the most about this is Mark Eversley. Um, to me, I've looked at this as a situation where the Bulls – are basically moving in the right direction. We're getting someone that's going to come in here that has relationships within the league. So I like Eversley in the sense that he was a Nike executive. He has that marketing background, and we know how this league is run. This league is run with those movers and shakers with the sneaker companies, and Nike is, is the biggest of them all. 
So I just imagine the type of relationships and the cachet that a Mark Eversley has. And one of his first local interviews that he did, he talked about the fact that the Bulls brand in the 90s during the dynasty was one of the strongest brands out there. However, in recent years, that brand means nothing. So he even said that he wants to make that brand cool again. For me, that just excites me just because right now when you look at this organization, it's going nowhere, and it was going nowhere fast. Uh, Novak, you brought a great point up with Lowry wanting out, and a lot of people saw how unhappy he was, and even some of the local media even talked about how Lowry uh, would make comments loud enough for people to hear in the room that he was uh, unsatisfied with everything. So I will say this. uh, This new uh, regime, hopefully they come in here and they change that culture because that's really what we need. Um, Novak, you brought up a point in your discussion about the coaching change. So if Bur- if Boylan was to be replaced, who would you like to see him replaced with? I want David Fisdell. And the, re- the reason I want David Fisdell is because he, he's, he's Miami bloodline, if you think about it. I mean, if you think about Spolestra, the job he did, he's done in Miami, you know, even during the Wayne Wade era and the, you know, in the big three era. I mean, I think that he learned a lot from Spolestra, how to, you know, how to talk to how to talk to players, how to deal with superstars in the locker room on and off the court. I think Fisdell is very smart. Uh, to me, he would be a really good fit because I think he got a raw deal in New York. I don't think any anybody in New York could do anything with that roster. That roster was god awful. I mean, once I mean, once you got rid of uh, Porzingis at that point, I mean, that New York Knicks roster was trash. I mean, Fisdell pretty much had a really desperate situation. You know, you go out, you draft a few players, they don't pan out. You make some bad free agent signings. I think David Fisdell and Eversley were working uh, Unisys right now to get things going because Eversley is really good with salary cap. You know, he's a salary cap expert, you know, for what, I, what I've been gathering, what I've been seeing. And I think, you know, with the right coach, like a David Fisdell or something like that, give him a little bit of uh, control over the roster a bit to work with uh, the new GM in that situation. I think that'd be fine. I personally think that the only answer to this question is Adrian Griffin. And the reason why I say that is that Adrian Griffin is not only a guy that people have been grooming to be a head coach for years. He has done a tremendous job in Toronto under Nick Nurse, but also he played collegiately with Arturis Karnaschovas at Seton Hall. The relationship is there. And I think that when you look at the relationship between a coach and an executive, that has to be mutual. You have to be able to get along with your GM if you're a coach. And that's why we saw the relationship crash and burn between John Paxson and Tom Thibodeau. Because I don't think there's anybody that could argue that the best coach that the Bulls have had since Phil Jackson is Tom Thibodeau. And why did that relationship burn up? Because Paxson decided he wanted to pick a fight. And Foreman decided he wanted to pick a fight with Tom Thibodeau, who is a no-nonsense type of guy. So when you're looking at who is going to be the next coach, it has to be somebody that Karnaschovas is going to trust. And I think that Mark Eversley can get on board with Adrian Griffin. I think if there's somebody like Adrian Griffin that is being considered for NBA head coaching gigs, wherever they might be, that's the guy you want to bring in. Because this is what the advantage that the Bulls have now is that with this season in limbo, the Bulls basically said, we're going to get a head start on something that we needed to do anyway. And if there have been conversations 
between Karnaschovas and Griffin. Even if Griffin isn't the coach, I would guarantee you that that's the Bulls' first choice because with this new NBA plan coming out about how many teams are going to be able to restart the rest of the regular season, that's the end of the Bulls for this year, and hopefully that's the end of Jim Boylan. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, you know what? I kind of like, uh, man, my pick, I like uh, Mark Jackson. I like Mark Jackson because I believe he had got a raw deal with Golden State. Uh, he's closer from 2011 to 14. Where he got, you know, he got fired in 14 besides leading. He, he led them with the second playoff uh, appearances. And then that year, as far as next year, they ended up winning the championship. I think that uh, he had built that team and he's got a raw deal. And I feel that he can, he can build a team in Chicago. So that's my pick there. Okay. I think for me, uh, when I when I go to kind of what I'm thinking, uh, I have to go back to Mark Eversley again. So Mark Eversley, he came from Phil, uh, from the Sixers, and the Sixers have a lead assistant on that bench who comes from the uh, the Greg Popovich system and, and coaching tree, uh, Udoka. I think if – if I had a, you know, basically a stake in this decision, that would be my guy. This guy comes from a winning program. He's well-respected around the league. He checks a lot of the different boxes. This is a guy that's a former player. He's relatable. And also, too, I think he would be attractive for free agents in the future. Um, it just kind of coincides with what Eversley mentioned about wanting to make the brand cool again. I think when you look at the Bulls right now, you got a clown of a head coach. He's not the he's the least epitome of cool. You just basically look around there. There's nothing that's cool about that team. And you look at we we did our recap of the, of the last dance. That '90s team, they had the most swagger out there in that court. You had the greatest player of all time and his sidekicks. I mean, those were some cool players, a cool team. And we need to get back to that. And we don't get back to that unless we bring in someone that can draw in some of those players with that type of cachet. So. I think Udoka would be a, a great a, get, a great get. Um, also intrigued by Adrian Griffin as well, Greg, just because, like you mentioned, uh, Gr- uh, Griff, he comes from the Bulls. He played here three different times. He's also shown the organization that he could be successful. A lot of people don't realize this, but he had a really great relationship with Jimmy Butler. And not too many coaches or even maybe players can even say that. So that just kind of shows you a little bit about how maybe he could be relatable as well. So I, I think I do think that could be a, a good move for us. Um, well, let's let's just kind of circle back to um, maybe some of the players on the roster that you guys think that we can build around uh, going forward. Whoever wants to take this, which which guys do you think are some of our uh, uh, franchise cornerstones? You can just maybe name off one and we can just kind of go around the round robin. I would start off with saying, you know, Kobe White. And the, re- the reason Kobe White grew on me, you know, when, he first, when we first drafted Kobe White, I wasn't the happiest camper in the room, to be honest with you. Because one, you know, I started thinking about <laughs> Carolina point guards. I, I, I said I had Raymond Felton nightmares. Um, I remember, <laughs> I, remember uh, I remember being in a couple of camps with Raymond Felton and seeing, you know, that he has such – a lot of upside, you know, before, you know, before he got to the NBA and it kind of all went to McDonald's at that point. And, you know, when they drafted Kobe White, I was a little bit on the fence because I saw a lot of his games and college. And all I saw a lot of in that situation was, um, 
you know, I saw I saw a lot of uh, you know, I saw I saw a lot of guy with, with really big hair. He made some really cool plays. He got hot at good times during games, but I didn't see anything uniquely special at that point. Uh, but when he arrived, you know, he arrived at the, with the Bulls uh, earlier this year. Uh, the first thing I noticed is that the kid, the kid can get buckets. You know, he is he's a bigger version of Ben Gordon in terms of uh, being a flamethrower at this point. Defensively, he's going to get better. He's going to get stronger. He's going to get stronger to get in the weight room. He's going to get a lot better. But uh, I think that he's a guy I would build around because I like his tenacity and I like his can-do attitude at this point. And I think, you know, that's a guy just he, – he's happy playing the game. That's the most important thing. When, you, when you're um, building a team, you're looking for players that smile when they work, you know. And, it's, you know, it's not been a lot of laughing in Chicago the past few years. So, you know, Kobe White's been a breath of fresh air, you know, in terms of being able to be – Humble, hungry, and you know, offensively, he's gifted. I like I like that a lot, man. Plus, he was uh, he was heating up towards the end there as well. I think coaching slowed him down. To be honest with you, is you know, he got he had to get used to how Boylan looks at things and how the Bulls run the offense. And I think he was trying to find his place. And I think it's tough as a rookie in the NBA, especially a point guard in the NBA to be able to tell guys where they need to be on the floor and be a leader in, in, in the locker room. No, point guards need time to mature. And I think he's going to be fine. He's going to be more of a bigger point guard, more of a, a little bit, you know, he's not, he's about six, four. Um, he's going to be fine. He just needs a little bit more time to mature. And I think you know, offensively that's going to keep him on the floor right now. I want to throw Wendell Carter jr. At you guys, because this is somebody that coming out of Duke was going to be a dynamic four. Somebody that could shoot, could play well in the post, be a good passer and a good screener. And I feel like there has been a stunt in his development. Now, I know that the injuries that he has suffered over his first two years have not helped his growth as a player. But if you want to play an offense that has a lot of ball movement, you know, I compare it to the first championship for the Warriors with Andrew Bogut as being a guy that could run the offense from the elbow, be able to be the disher and the guy that could set up on a screen screen and roll off of it and create space. To me, that's Wendell Carter Jr. And as you develop guys like Kobe White and refine guys like Zach Levine and hopefully draft guys that you feel like are going to be better perimeter players because that's where the game is going, Having somebody that can run a high-octane ball movement offense, you need a great passer. And having a great passer as a post is, to me, paramount in any high ball movement offense. So I look at Wendell Carter, and I compare and contrast him with Laurie Markkinen, and I just see a more diverse skill set in somebody that I would rather keep long-term than Markkinen. Hey, Greg, I like that one, too, just because you saw the way that uh, Wendell Carter started off the season. I mean, he, he came out of the gates pretty damn hot. And then, you know, those injuries have kind of slowed him down. And I think that's the only thing that I look at with Wendell Carter Jr. is just the injuries with him. Both years, he's only played between, what, 40 to 45 games. So that's the only thing that just looking for with that guy, can he stay healthy? But other than that, I mean, he, he's a stud. He's a stud. The only thing I'm concerned about Wendell, Wendell Carter, just to point them out there, is his size. You know, he he's kind of, you know, in a way, you know, like some players are longer. Like if you look at Gafford, you look at Gaffer spilled, you look at other fours and fives in the NBA, how they're longer at that, you know, longer in terms of body composition and everything. 
I think I think Wendell's and me, the, the only thing I worry about sometimes is like when I watch him match up against bigger fours and fives, he look you know, he's strong, but he's undersized sometimes in the post, guarding bigger guys. But since the game's going more to a stretch four, I totally agree with Greg on that situation. If he's in that pick and pop, and if he's allowed to facilitate some offense, you know, by being able to make the right decisions from the high post out there, he could be very effective. But, you know, I do worry about that length sometimes because Gafford got me really excited with the, the length and athleticism he brought to the court. I think Wendell Carter's athleticism is more controlled. He's more mature in terms of a, a player, but – I do worry about defensively sometimes. There's defensive lapses out there. I've seen times out there where he picks up a lot of cheapy fouls as well as Gafford. Maybe that might be coaching at this point or just getting used to how the NBA is being officiated. But, yeah, I can, I can see what you're saying with that, Greg. You know, my thing, my thing I, like, uh, I, like exactly, I like exactly what they mean. I mean, he's always uh, – Scored like last season or uh, 2018 season, whatever. Uh, he's averaged 25 points a game and 4.4, uh, 4.5 assists and 4.7 rebounds. So he played both sides of the court. He just need uh, the the uh, assists as far as injuries and stuff like that. And uh, and I, I I think he management probably need to bring in a veteran player to kind of teach this teach this young man just on how to be a leader and stuff. I believe if you, if you do that. A little more time, and he got six years on, but just a, a couple more years, and I think he will, he'll be able to lead the team. I think for me, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Lowry. I know Greg, you you didn't seem too sold on on Lowry. I, I kind of picked up on that uh, just with some of our previous conversations, and even what you said a few minutes ago. But the thing that I thought about Lowry, I was really impressed with him in his rookie season, the way he competed the way he showed like that athleticism that I don't think a lot of people saw out of him when he played in college. When I saw him play in Arizona, I just saw a guy that was, you know, perimeter oriented, which he's still shown that in the league, but he had some sneaky athletic uh, plays that he had that rookie year where he was dunking on people and showing you some different parts of his game. I think the big thing that we're just seeing here with some of the guys that we brought up, we talked about Kobe White, we talked about Wendell Carter Jr. And now I'm bringing up Lowry. Coaching is the thing that I think has set these three players back the most. You got to look at a guy like Wendell Carter Jr. That the, the blitzing defensive strategy that uh, Boylan uses oftentimes keeps Wendell Carter Jr. in foul trouble. And a lot of times, you know, he's just on the bench for most of the game. And that just doesn't do him any good. He's one of our better uh, defensive players. So you need a guy like that out on court. With Lowry, I don't think he was getting enough touches. I think Boylan's offense was not allowing Lowry to do what he does best. He was just relegated to being on the perimeter. And I think when you have a guy like that with that skill set, you got to draw up more plays. You got to get a guy like that engaged. And a lot of times what I saw with Lowry was a player that was disengaged and was really kind of like just withdrawn from what they were doing. So he's entering a contract year uh, next season. And I really hope that they just let this kid loose because I think he's got a ton of potential, ton of potential. He's going to be you trade got, bait. Yeah. You said trade bait? <laughs> trade bait. You know what happens when you play really good for a, con- for a contract season in Chicago? He's trade bait at this point. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if they're, if they, if he was part of the future plans, now, Karnas Sofis, you know, we got to see exactly how that relationship pans out with him and Lowry at this point. But I can't see, you know, the thing with him basically is, you know, to be a great offensive player, he's got to want the ball. I've seen plays out there he, where he's like out there just hanging out on the perimeter. 
he's walking up and down the floor. He looks unmotiv- He looked unmotivated for most of the, the first half of the year. And I'm watching it. I'm just like, you know, the guy's got to get his killer instinct back if he ever had it. I mean, I, you know, you know, he's a very polarizing player in terms of like, I just want more from him, you know. And I think that maybe, maybe I've been spoiled by watching better big men in the NBA, but I feel like he just doesn't. I just, I don't see any fire in him right now. Maybe that come back, you know, maybe they come back from COVID or something like that. But I want to see him at least be more aggressive again, like the first year. There was no passion this year. What is the constant though in that Novak that first year who was his coach it was Hoiberg somebody that played a college style run and shoot type of offense I know that's more of a football term but that's just what came to me right off the cuff then you get Boylan in the middle of his second year and the offense the system completely stagnates it's understandable to see a guy lose joy for playing the game and I think that in whatever higher the Bulls end up making for their next head coach. Because, Prez, I agree with you. I like Laurie Markkinen. You did correctly identify that I'm not high on him because I don't know if you can get back what people saw when he was coming out of Arizona. I don't know if that guy is still there. I hope he is. It is going to take the right coach and the right offensive system to get that out of him. And if you can get... What everybody thought was the Laurie Markkinen that the Bulls were drafting that was one of the best players in the Pac-12 that season along with Lonzo Ball, then you are getting somebody that is a franchise cornerstone. But again, like Novak said, it is a contract year for him. And if the Bulls aren't going anywhere, they're going to have to make a decision on whether or not they want to commit to him long-term or trade him for some assets that could help build the product up even further down the road. Oh, that's that's a really good point there. So with that being uh, taken into consideration, do you guys see any untouchables on this roster? I don't. I don't right now because it's a new regime. You know, it's almost like at work. You know, when you take over a position as a manager or a director of a department, you look around everybody and you say, well, I didn't hire these people. I didn't, you know, these aren't my people right now. You know, you, you might try to find people in that, you know, in that team organization pretty much where um, that might be able to fit your plans. But I think Colonel Sovis, he's really good at positionless basketball. If you look at the Denver Nuggets right now, there are a lot of guys out there that can play multiple positions, you know, in Denver. And with the Bulls, you don't see that quite sometimes. Otto Porter is supposed to be a utility guy, and he never stayed healthy. Uh, Zach Levine, you know, to be honest with you, plays one position <laughs> that's let me shoot. Uh, doesn't <laughs> doesn't play defense. Uh, I think that I think Wendell Carter fits more current Sofa's uh, vision of what the team is going to look like. I do agree with you on that one, Greg, because you got you, we don't have a glue guy right now. And Wendell could be the glue guy. You know, at some point with development and time. Uh, I don't think anybody's untouchable. You know, I, I think Kobe might be the closest untouchable at this point because. We, we haven't seen enough of him to pass judgment at this point. We can judge Lowry. We can judge Wendell to a certain degree. We can, you know, we can judge Otto Porter for not being there. <laughs> but I, I, you know, and then Zach Levine, I mean, he's not untouchable in my eyes because the thing about it is, you know, I don't know. I just keep seeing Ron Mercer. I have these Ron Mercer thoughts and I look at him. I see, I see a more developed Ron Mercer at this point. Same athleticism, you know, shoots a lot. He's a high-volume shooter. 
he get, you know, the guy takes a lot of shots. If he gets 30 and you get 25 shots up, then, you know, take your hat off to him at that point. I mean, I just don't see him as a long-term fit, you know, in the Bulls uniform at this point. The only thing I can think of is, uh, man, maybe saving Kobe White because he's been showing you things. Uh, come off the bench and let you find a scoring your six man, you know, I, my opinion, six man a year and stuff. So, I, I would try to, I would try to save him, kind of, kind of work around, work around Kobe. Yeah, I, I would, I would say, um, I'm thinking more along the lines that there's nobody untouchable in this roster. I mean, we don't have a Michael Jordan on this team. So, as far as I'm concerned, if AK and if Eversley come in here and they evaluate that we need to move everybody, I mean, go for it. I mean, I do agree with you there, uh, Jules, that Kobe White's probably one of those players that I would love to probably see on the team. But if if we if they can make a move and, and get somebody in here that's going to get us to that next level, then I think I would be okay with it. I think that this year's draft is going to have a big indication on who stays and who goes. And I think that – and I hate to compare this to the Bears, but if you remember when Phil Emery first came in as the GM – and he let Lovey stay for one year and then let him go, which, by the way, one of the biggest mistakes in the history of the Chicago Bears was letting Lovey go for Mark Tressman, and they're <laughs> still not recovered from that. But you're going to let this, with whatever new coach you have, play out for at least a half a season. And at that point, you've got so many guys that you've brought in that – and don't forget J.J. Polk, the cap guy they brought in from New Orleans – they're going to look at everything meritocracy-wise. They're going to look at everything financially. And they're going to make the decisions to say, who's a part of this future, who is not. They're going to commit, in my opinion, whatever head coach that they hire to replace Boylan, they're going to commit to that guy for at least the next five years. Because you have to. You have to show that you are committed to starting a plan and seeing it through to the end. Too many times in pro sports do we see organizations decide that they're going to start a plan and then abort it, like basically the Cleveland Browns every single year. And <laughs> I'm looking at what the Bulls have done in terms of hiring their management, and I see the backgrounds of Eversley with the Sixers, AK with the Nuggets. These are two franchises that built from within and took the time to get it right. Now, you can probably make the argument at this point, and granted, it's, you know, a year further in hindsight, but the Nuggets probably did a better job than the Sixers, but a lot of that Sixers front office now is not the same Sixers front office from the trust the process days. So I'm looking at this upcoming season, the 2020-2021 season, as – Put up or shut up for every player. And if the organization feels like that player, whoever it might be, is a part of the future, they'll make them a part of the future. If not, trade them for assets, trade them for draft picks, and let's keep building. I 100% agree with that assessment. And you know what, uh, Greg? I forgot all about J.J. Polk and his background because he's that capologist that really helped those Pelican, that Pelican team uh, get all those, that young talent and make that uh, trade. So yeah, he's definitely someone that I am very intrigued about being in the mix in this uh, 
new front office regime. So that's going to be interesting as we as we kind of go forward. Yeah. Um, and also speaking to that a little bit, what do you guys think as far as players on this roster that you think could be moved out? I mean, do you guys have anybody in mind that you wouldn't mind being moved? Uh, I got I got one name, Zach. I'm moving Zach at this point. I think the the reason I'm moving Zach is because one, you know, I want a more defensive minded Bulls approach with you know with I guess offensive weapons that could be more two way players at this point in time. And this kind of goes back to the ghost of Jimmy Butler a little bit. I think that you know in this NBA since this, since you're playing a lot of small ball, you're taking the five position off the court. Guys got to be able to at least stop a guy, you know, 33% of the, t- of the time up and down the court. You know, with, with Zach Levine, when I saw a lot during this year was I saw him get 30 and the guy, and the guy, the guy he's guarding get 30. So it's a wash, you know, at that point. I saw him give up a lot of easy buckets. I saw a lot of bad defensive decisions. I mean, defense is, defense is like a de- defensive, good defensive habits start when you're, when you're a kid and you play basketball. You can't teach a guy to play defense at, at 25, 26 in the league. It's impossible because everybody's too good offensively to stop that person unless, unless you've unless you got the desire to be great defensively, if you think about it. I mean, you know, I just feel like at the two league at – the, at the league guard positions, they got to be decent defenders. You know, I think that Kobe has the ability to be a good defender. I don't see that in Zach. But I want, I want the two guys that normally pick guys up when they cross half court to be defensively in tune, you know, if I'm, build, if I'm building a team around somebody at this point. My point guard's got to be able to at least stay in front of the point guard slightly. I mean, Derrick Rose did an okay job of hiding his defensive liabilities with his offensive uh, capabilities during his MVP year. But I think that um, I think that Zach, to me, is the one I'm going to move because I like the Wendell Carter situation. I think Lowry needs a little bit more time. You know, I do agree with Greg maybe – Give him the first half of the year and see what it's like, but he's gonna probably get moved before trade deadline because we're not gonna commit to him long term. You know by trade deadline where he's gonna go, and I think that um, the other guys on the roster, you know, uh, I mean, Otto Porter is Otto Porter. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not in love with the rest of the. I'm not in love with the Thaddeus Young signing. That that to me was a big blunder, but I think that I think I move Zach and try to get some assets back at this point. And, you know, Greg, you're totally right about whoever they draft is really going to tell you what it's going to look like. You know, they made that LaMelo ball uh, situation happen. I'm scared. <laughs> I'm, I'm very scared for Kobe at this point and whatever guard is in the backcourt. I don't think LaMelo's good enough to be that person. But, you know, you know, like, uh, you know, I think uh, I think it's all it's all about what the draft looks like at this point. I think I think Zach goes before, I think Zach goes before free agent for free agent uh, deadline trade deadline at this point. So okay, so you got you got you got Levine on that, okay. Um, but you bring up a, a point there. So you so you brought up the fact with Otto Porter. So Otto Porter, we're looking at next year, he's going to have a twenty eight million dollar player option, and we know that he would be a fool if he basically did not, uh, you know, exercise that and come back. So that trade, you're not going to move that contract. Um, so that that's going to be a tough one. Uh, but you also brought up the Thaddeus Young signing. And I'm, I'm curious, Greg, and your thoughts on that signing and also if you think that's a, a, a contract that could be moved. Thaddeus Young is not a part of the future. I think that Thaddeus Young was somebody that the organization brought in to help win now. That was a signing that this organization, the Garpax regime, thought 
that they could make a run at the playoffs this year. And that's your 20 minutes off the bench per game guy that is going to provide uh, a leadership lift. I liked the signing at the time because he's had a track record of success. But at this point, given the state of the franchise, unless you really feel like you can win next year, which I don't think they can, given everything that's going to change, that's a guy that's worth moving to a contender. Now, the question is, what type of value is he going to bring back at this point? You know, I think Thad Young is, what, 32, 33? I don't know how many people are going to be clamoring for a second-string post guy in his early 30s. Also making uh, $16 million a season as well, right? Yeah, I think something like that, and nobody's going to want that contract either. But again, it's only one year, so maybe, maybe you just have to eat a year of playing with Porter and Young, and then you go into this 2021 free agent class, which is going to be as fruitful as any class that we've seen in the last 10 years, and then be able to make your move on the marquee free agents. And hopefully by that point, your organization has built back the relationships with the players that gave this organization such a bad name when Anthony Davis, a Chicagoan, would said he would never play here. Yeah, that 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 hurt me to hear that. Just because that that shows you how far we've fallen off uh, the map as far as being an attractive destination, uh, Novak. So when you look at our buddy Felicia, is there any <laughs> way you have to go there, huh? Yeah, I was trying not to go to the elephant in the room. I I, I have to. Is there okay. any way we could move this contract? No. No, I mean, Felicio, that was the worst contract ever given to a player based on potential ever. And it's so bad that when you talk to other people, like, you know, big, you know, big Bulls fans, and I, I talked to other guys who are agents for players, they don't know what the hell his agent did to get that deal. You know, everybody wants to know what was said in that, said in that room during those conversations during negotiations. Whoever it is deserves a Nobel Peace Prize because that guy is, you know, it was terrible potential that the Bulls bought. No one's going to take that contract. Um, I mean, the only way to move him pretty much would be to pack him up with like a Thaddeus Young or a Sadoransky or somebody. Like, I do I do agree with Greg that Thaddeus was a win now. We're going to try to win it now situation. So was Sadoransky in that regard because they signed Sado thinking that they were ready to make the playoffs. And they were right there at the cusp when they needed some uh, veterans in the locker room. And those two guys, I think Sadoransky, I, I think, I think Sado – and if you look at packaging, packaging up uh, Felicio, might, you might be a possibility. But you're only looking at probably, like for Saddle, you're looking at a second round and probably some cash, just to be honest with you, on the, on the contender at this point. And then, you know, Felicio, you're going to have to pay somebody to take Felicio. You're going to have to take something bad back for something. You don't have to, give, you don't have to trade a bad contract for a bad contract. And that's the only way you're going to move Felicio. You've got to take somebody else's trash and turn it into something at this point. Yeah, that that was uh, that was another one of those great guard packs moves. I mean, they they on the eve of free agency that season, they went and gave this guy thirty two million dollars. He he better thank his lucky stars for Dwayne Wade being on that Bulls team because Dwayne Wade is the reason why he got paid. Oh God, don't talk about that contract. Yeah. <laughs> that was a hometown favor. That's what that was. What do you guys think about Denzel Valentine? 
being like the odd man out on this roster since since his rookie year? Uh, when I look at Denzel, I look at a kid that I think has talent. My issue, though, is with the way that he's been utilized. I mean, Denzel, uh, Denzel Valentine, he has a versatile game. The guy can shoot. He's a playmaker. How do you not find a way to keep him on the court? How, I mean, there's games this season where Denzel was on fire. I mean, he was helping them win ball games. Then all of a sudden, Boylan just stubbornly says he has no role on the team. How? Who who's better on this team with shooting? Three point shooting has been a has been a huge problem with this team. He was one of the better three point shooters, but somehow this guy ends up at the end of your bench and getting uh, do not plays. I, I just didn't understand it. He got he got the, he got Jabari Parker uh, position on the team this year. <laughs> he got taken out the uh, rotation, and when they made I hated when they made those announcements about players. It kind of damaged the. Uh, Really, to trade a player when you said he's out the rotation. I mean, we, you know, it's kind of like spiteful, but at the same time, you can't move a guy that we deemed as not being good enough to be on the floor at this point. No, I, I definitely, I definitely see that. So, all right. So, I mean, we brought up a lot of names here, and and one thing I'm gonna touch on real quick is you you talked about Sato. I thought when the Bulls pulled the trigger on that signing trade with the with the Wizards. I thought that was a really good move at the time. Um, he's a combo guard, athletic, very durable player. But the problem is with with just with a lot of the stuff that we're talking about, it just comes down to coaching. Um, the guy basically wasn't utilized, I thought, effectively enough. And then as you look at the way that this team is being built, and probably like what Greg mentioned, the draft is also going to tell us a lot about players that are going to end up being on this team going forward. I think a guy like Sato, who's on an affordable contract, I mean, he signed a three-year, $30 million deal. That's a deal that you probably can basically move this summer uh, and maybe get him on a contending team. We may be able to get some assets and pieces back. Uh, so the way I look at it is with a guy like that, he wasn't the, the best fit on the type of team where this where this Bulls team is going. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know, man. I, when you look at this roster, there's just so many players and pieces but they just don't fit, and it's really unfortunate. I do want to say, though, Prez, and I did not jump in initially on Denzel Valentine, but the lack of three-point shooting, that is something that has been missing with the Bulls for years. And we look at the way that the NBA is going now, obviously the shooting revolution with the Warriors (laughs) and the Rockets and pretty much any team that has a good amount of high-low offense and stout perimeter shooters, that is the modern NBA. And that is not the way that the Bulls have been built over the last 10 years. I mean, think about it. Even that Bulls team that got to the Eastern Conference Finals against the Heat. I mean, you had Kyle Korver giving them the hot sauce. But other (laughs) than that, like, who was your perimeter shooter on that team? It was was, not Derrick Rose. It was yeah. no, it was Kyle Corver, and I mean maybe Keith Bogans would rip a triple once in a while. Oh, Greg, stop, Keith Bogans! Oh my God, Kentucky's I, finest. Kentucky's finest, man. Well, is, isn't it a shame that that was our two guard on that team? 
But it was weird. That was the guy that was the starting two guard. But basically, he'd play like, if I remember correctly, he'd play like the first six minutes of the first quarter and the first six minutes of the third quarter. And then he would never play again the rest of the game. <laughs> yep. That is correct. <laughs> yeah, he it was, it was a bizarre relationship. Tibbs liked to start the games with him, and then he brought him in the third quarter to get Derek a breather. <laughs> That's pretty much what happened. They play, you know, they would change the offensive floor a little bit. I mean, yeah, Bogans. I mean, we paid we paid Bogans a pretty good penny to, just to be here, just to hang out with Derek. You know, it was pretty funny. I mean, you want to go back down Nightmare Lane over there? Think about Rip Hamilton signing during that lockout year. <laughs> we brought in Rip Hamilton, who had nothing left in the tank, and put him next to Derek Rose and said, "We're going to win a championship." I was like, "This is scary. Who the hell's making these decisions?" The thing about it is, on paper, it was a good move, but like you said, Rip was done at that point. You, you, they had to tape him together just to get him to play ten or fifteen minutes. It was pretty, pretty bad. Yeah, he's been doing podcasts the last few weeks talking about, you know, Derek was the MVP. Derek was the best player he ever saw, the scariest point guard in the league. Somebody asked him on the podcast, "What? How did you feel to play?" He said, "I was about done at that point." And I'm like, "Wow, thank you for telling us that, Rip." <laughs> yep. You know, he also he also kind of blamed Thibodeau for uh, Derrick Rose's injury. He made a comment, and I don't think a lot of people picked up on that in that podcast because I know exactly which one you're referencing. Yeah. And he even said there was no way Derrick should even have been in that ball game. So, you know, we've talked about that before, but it's just that was painful just to hear a uh, former teammate, you know, even just bringing that up. Yeah, but to touch upon the construction of the Bulls roster right now, the construction of the roster in the last 10 years, I totally agree with Greg on that. If you think about it, I mean, we went out and got Chris Dunn, who, who uh, for all intents and purposes, is more of a slasher. He can maybe create his own shot some occasions against, you know, maybe a, he might get a guard out there as a terrible defender. He might be able to create something. Guy had no pull-up game, you know, unless it's like 10 feet or in, you know, if it's a layup or a dunk. Then, you know, you think about the fact that uh, you want to get Ryan, uh, you got Ryan uh, Arch, <laughs> uh, the Arch, you know, I mean, the thing with him is he's an okay shooter. That guy, that's a guy that basically works his ass off to an NBA roster, but he just doesn't have NBA talent, you know, and I hate to say it, you know, I, lo I love Arch, but man, watching them, you know, watching them um, <laughs> try to get out there and, and try to match up with some of these athletes out there, it's just, it's just like watching YMCA ball on the Saturday afternoon with, you know, with the All-Stars to come in for Europe. I mean, he's getting destroyed. And then you think about, um, you know, Porter is supposed to be a shooter. That never, I never saw him hit many threes. Uh, Saddle, okay shooter at this point. Not the best, what I've seen. And then Larry Marketing, pretty much. And, and Kobe White have been, and, and Denzel Valentine have been the guys making the most threes on this team. Let me throw something out at you guys because. Novak, I think it was you that, were say, that was saying about the lack of a glue guy. I just had this thought. I might be a genius or I might be a moron, <laughs> but I might fall anywhere in between those two mediums. You're talking about the need for a glue guy and the need for a leader and somebody that can be a staunch defender and be able to be a good passer. What if the Bulls tried to trade for Draymond Green? Because I know that he's wearing thinner and thinner in Golden State. What do you think about Draymond Green as a fit, as, a, as really a, a young, old leader, a young veteran leader amongst a group of kids? 
I'll say this, Greg. Uh, I, I don't want Joey from uh, the Backstreet Boys on, on, on my on our team. Um, he, I just with that Max deal coming in here, and I think he's going to start breaking down physically. Um, we haven't seen it yet, but I think that decline when it happens with Draymond is, is going to be rough to see. Now, I do like where you're going with that, with the idea of a blue guy, a leader, somebody that's won and, and has been a champion. However, I just don't see that act being a good fit with, with what we're doing here. And I also don't see him being someone that the fan base would, would rally around. But, I mean, I could be wrong. Jules, what's your thoughts on Draymond Green in the Bulls uniform? Draymond and, and Bulls? Uh, hmm. Uh, uh, why not? What else you got to do, right? I don't know, man. I, I think that what G talking about here has to come in and be, uh, be a leader to, to some of these kids here. He, he might be a good fit. He might not. I, you know, I, I kind of like the idea of uh, bringing somebody a little, little, a little different up in here to kind of shake things up. How the fans uh take to him? Only time will tell. You know, we was like that with Dennis Rodman. Only thing he had to do when he go out there and perform on the on the court and stuff and win ball games. I think everybody would love. Him. Yeah, he could be the glue guy. He could be the you know we have no glue guy and there's no nasty on this team. So when you when you watch some of the, you watch how some of the NBA teams you know foul us a certain way or touch us or. We just get up and walk away. I've seen, I've saw Zach Levine get laid out a few times this year going to the basket, you know, one of those poster dunks. And sometimes you just wish the spirit of Charles Oakley lived on that team or somebody just walk over and give somebody a nudge, let them know that I'm here. I mean, Derek kind of had that with Kirk Thomas a little bit, you know, you know, out there. But, you know, the thing about it is I think every team needs some nasty and a little bit of glue. I mean, Draymond would be intriguing. I, I do agree with Prez that contract scares the hell out of me. Because I think that um, his big years are his, his good years are behind him right now at this point. I think that Draymond could have more more successful years, but he's got to control that that frame, that body right now. I mean, um, he you know the thing, the thing with him pretty much I'd say in a nutshell is that he was out of shape for most of the last he was out of shape for most of that championship that 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 last year when they lost to Toronto. He worked his stuff in his shape before the playoffs. And that's the one thing that concerns me about Draymond Green is will he continue to work that way to get into shape? Will he come to camp mentally prepared? Because last year he knew that they were busted pretty much offensively. You know, uh, Durant was gone. He was just there, you know what I mean, making a lot of money at that point. Uh, that's, a, that's a real good point. But to piggyback off of your question, Greg, I'm going to throw it back out to you guys. When you look at, you know, the 2020 class is coming up and let's just realistically have this conversation. So let's not even break up Anthony Davis, but who do you guys see that we can realistically bring into this to this mix to help with this rebuild? I mean, does Giannis want to come? Does Giannis want to come down I-94 and play in Chicago? I don't know. I don't know if Giannis is going to stay in Milwaukee long-term. But if you're talking about the young superstar that has way more years left than he doesn't, that's the guy that I want. Because he seems like a leader. He seems like a glue guy. He is versatile in almost everything that he does, except for maybe shoot free throws. He is probably, outside of Durant, the best athlete in the NBA. He might be the best athlete in the NBA at this point. 
No disrespect to LeBron James, but you got to look at the age at this point. I think that Giannis is the best player in that upcoming free agent class. And I'm somewhat hoping that by the time 2021 free agency hits, that the Bulls will have rebuilt the type of reputation that they're going to be able to get him. Um, in terms of 2020, I'm not so sure. Uh, I don't know at this point. I'm not sure there's any one piece you can bring in at this point that's immediately going to flip the switch. Uh, I agree with you on that one, Greg. I mean, Giannis is, is the gold standard right now for, for this class. I don't know if he's willing to dra- travel down to uh, 294 to be with us at this point. I, I, I just see that I see that Stephen Curry shadow <laughs> up there in Milwaukee right now. I don't think he stays in Milwaukee. I think the thing with this kid pretty much is that I don't think it's about being on a bigger stage for him. He just wants to have fun. He wants to play with people that are friends at this point. I think he's. A, I think he could be a good leader in the locker room. I like his work ethic. I like the way he attacks the basket. To me personally, there is no athlete better than NBA and Giannis right now. I mean, LeBron James, you know, he does things from time to time, but it's not consistent athletic wow moments, you know, like, like you get from Giannis because, you know, there's an age difference. There's a, uh, there's a lot more miles on LeBron's body at this point. I mean, this guy, this guy's got five more good years of top-level basketball left in him right now, and I don't think he wants to waste it in the, you know, up in Milwaukee at this point. So I would, that would be that he's franchise changing right now. If you get him in the Chicago Bulls uniform, you know it's like it's the whole phrase: if you build it, they'll come. If you can convince him to come down here, it's, you know if um, if AK Eversley and JJ Polk can get in a room and, and sell their souls and their children and their firstborn and their nestborn children's souls, they can get Giannis. I think it's very possible because I think as long as you leave Ryan Storch out of Ryan Storch out of that conversation and and Paxson sent on vacation that week. <laughs> I think they can pull off that that coup. I mean, it's very possible, but you know, Stephen Curry, I, I just see him being a lot more useful than just being one of the NBA's greatest shooters of all time. You know, they play video games together, so I do worry about tampering there. But that's healthy tampering because they're playing games together. I'll let that slide at this point. But that guy to me is the is the big target. The only other person out there that intrigues me a little bit right now is Marvin Bagley Jr., who's going to be a free agent. He intrigues me because. Sacramento's a terrible system. <laughs> That's a terrible franchise. But Marvin Bagley to me, and you put Marvin Bagley and you put Wendell Carter back together again, they were teammates at AAU. And you think about it, you put those guys back together again, that'd be interesting. I mean, two guys that love to play basketball, two guys that have a little bit of grit about them. I mean, that might be the end of Lowry at this point, but I like Bagley. I always, I've always liked Bagley Jr. I just can't figure out, you know, why – you know, why the Kings haven't been able to figure it out with him out there? And why Vladdy Divac hasn't made efforts to keep that kid healthy at this point? Well, I'll say this because you and Greg jumped ahead to the 2021 class. And, yes, you're right. That that Giannis is, is definitely the crown jewel when it, when it comes to that. I was more so thinking of the immediate class. And you guys kind of came back to me on, on that one. I'm looking at Brandon Ingram as somebody in this 2020 class that I think could be an intriguing name for us. Um, he's going to be a restricted free agent this summer. I'm not sure of the long-term cap situation for the Pelicans. Uh, Greg, you brought up J.J. Polk and and the job that he did with that organization. But, however, you look at that Pelicans team, they have a lot of young talent. 
is Brandon Ingram someone that they would basically target and say, hey, he's going to be a part of our future? Or would the Bulls be able to throw an offer sheet at him and maybe force the Pelicans' hands? What do you guys think there? He's a dookie. I, I just, I got this, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to be fair here. Do basketball players get the living shit out of me, you know, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, you know, Brandon Ingram's had health issues. Uh, he says a couple of things go wrong is out of his control. One, I really worry about, you know, him being able to bulk up a little bit more. I mean, this guy's had constant battles to trying to keep weight on. I mean, he's, uh, he's Stacey Ogman without the plastic at this point. I mean, I, I like the way he plays, but I just can't see him as being a guy I want to give a lot of money to the, in this era of basketball because there's so many Brandon Ingrams out there. There's so many uh, really long players out there that do similar things that you can get for cheaper. You already have one in Laurie Markkinen, a guy that's a similar player. So maybe the skill set is not exactly comparable, but I'm with you, Novak. I'm not necessarily sure – that I would want to bring a Brandon Ingram in at this point. I mean, he's making a little over $7 million this year. His qualifying offer is going to be around 9.4. I, I don't know. I don't know if he's worth that money. But then again, I really don't know how the Bulls spend their money until they're able to offload Porter and Sadoransky and Thad Young. Because that's a lot of money tied up in guys that are not a part of your distant future. But at the same time, you guys both kind of mentioned earlier that you didn't see Lowry potentially being that fit long term. So do you think the skill set of a Brandon Ingram is attractive? Or do you just think that he just wouldn't be that guy that you think that could get us in that next, uh, could take us to the next level? I don't I don't think Ingram knows what the next level is <laughs> at this point. I think he's just a guy who wakes up in the morning, goes to the gym, puts up some shots. He's had some ugly 40-point games this year. I, mean, I, I watched some Pelican games on the, on the NBA League pass, and I watched him score. But at the same time, it kind of it takes away from what Zion is going to be. I think right now, there's a, there's a lot of time I hear Alvin Gentry screaming at, you know, uh, He's screaming at Ingram to get the ball to Zion. Zion out there a few times at those matchups where he was the, you know, he, he basically he had the advantage in his matchup. And Ingram, from a basketball perspective, never identified that even in L.A. You know, basketball-wise, I think he's a great – I think he's a decent athlete, but I think the basketball IQ is what scares the hell out of me with Brandon Ingram. He doesn't make the right decision all the time. You know, and he's been a lot of – he plays a lot of point forward – I seen that guy run a one-man fast break and still turn the ball over, and I'm like, "How the hell do you do that?" I mean, I want more Scotty intelligence on the fast break, opposed to a guy gliding down, getting to the basket, getting stuck, trying to dunk on somebody that he's not obviously he's not going to dunk on, and that's happened a lot with Brandon Ingram. Hey, hey, hey! What you guys think about the Clippers? Uh, Clippers score of Montrezl Harrell. Montrezl. I, I I would say this. Uh, he wouldn't be someone that I would commit to long term, but he's he's a nice player. Okay, so, you know, some of the end of that on this TV deal and stuff like that. And I don't know if you'd be able to get him away from playing with uh, Leonard and uh, George, but I mean, it's worth a shot. I mean, he's averaging eighteen points, you know, say fifty percent from shooting on the floor. Uh, you know, I, it might be a good, it might be a good cash in. I mean. Uh, you say you want, you want to commit to the long term? Okay. 
mean, Montrez Harrell, you know, I watched some Clipper games. I mean, he is a smaller Ben Wallace. He's a he's a he's a fire guy. He's an energy guy. He rebounds. He blocks shots. He's not the tallest guy out there, but he plays so big. I mean, I think with him pretty much. But he's also a system guy. He works really good, and he works really good that system the Clippers have out there. I mean, you know, Rivers, okay. Rivers system, you know, pretty much. It, you know, this guy gets all the all the, you know he gets all the loose balls. He's a junkyard dog, pretty much the best way to look at it. He's going to be a very expensive dog at some point in this NBA because his best contract is on the way. And after that, after he gets that really good contract, we're probably not going to hear from this guy. You said that's it for him, huh? Keon Clark, part two. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I got to say. I saw that guy downstairs at a gas station, you know, before he went to prison. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> hey, I got uh, I got one for you guys. This would be a trade, but this is a guy that has got ties to the state of Illinois. He was a fighting Illini and had an incredible rookie year given what his expectations were. And if you paid him a little bit more money than what he's making now, I think he could be a really good complimentary piece as a part of a perimeter offense. What about Kendrick Nunn? What about trying to find a way to swing a deal for Kendrick Nunn and having him be a part of a three-guard offense with Kobe White and Zach Levine? I, Greg, I like where you're going with that. However, Pat Riley's not a fool. I don't see any way where he's going to let that kid go. They got a good thing going down there in Miami, and I think Jimmy Butler would throw a hissy fit if they allowed that kid to, to leave. They've, they formed a pretty good bond down there. That would be a hell of a pick for us, a, a great pickup, and would give us some of that toughness that, that Novak mentioned that this team is lacking and a little bit of that nasty. I just – I don't see Pat Riley letting that kid out of his grasp. He'll be too distracted here. You know, the problem is bringing a player back home to play, especially especially a player that's not a star at this point. And Kendrick Nunn's got a very interesting background with things and problems and, you know, there's a there's some family issues here. I, I think bringing him home would be tough. He has to be so more, much more disciplined than he is in Miami. You know, he works in Miami because Pat Riley runs that thing like a ship. If Kendrick Nunn is late, he's going to get disciplined. If Kendrick Nunn doesn't give 100% effort, he's going to get benched. I think the only way you can bring in a Kendrick Nunn here, basically, you got to have that right coach, that right discipline system. You know, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not saying he hasn't matured as a player and as a person. But at the same time, in Chicago, Chicago's a city of a lot of temptations, a lot of evils. So you got to think in terms of, like, how would he survive on those off days? Is he going to stay in shape? Is he going to let the family thing become a distraction? It was hard for Derek. Derek struggled with the family life here and the friends and, and getting people's tickets. I mean, Derek was under stress 90% of the time he was here, but he's trying to please everybody. No, that's that's a good point there, but but Greg, that's that was a good because again, you because know, that's what we're looking for in this discussion is just uh, someone that we can see basically coming to this team realistically right in, in 2020. Because let's just be honest, you guys brought up the Giannis name and, and some of these crown jewels from that 2021 team. We got to crawl before we can walk. We can even get a, a seat at the table with some of these guys going into 2021. So. For us, we got to build this thing, uh, you know, smartly, and we got to basically make sure that we're doing things that are going to basically attract these players to even want to have those conversations with us a year from now. 
Um, one question I wanted to ask you guys just real quick, so just around, around that idea. So you guys both talked about Giannis. Also, you have, I think, what, your, uh, LeBron's up in that, in, that, in that year, Paul George, Bradley Beal, uh, Giannis. I mean, there's so many. This, this, this free agent class of 2021 is going to be historic. What do you guys think that the Bulls could do organization-wise to even put ourselves in a conversation to be able to have those guys come in and even sit down and meet with us? I mean, you got to have the right coach. That's the, that's the big thing. Um, that's the big thing there. If you got, in order for us to go out to those type of free agents, you guys to have some ties to clutch. If, if you're thinking LeBron, you got to have a tie to clutch sports. The weird thing is, if you notice with some of these relationships, the Tyrone Lewis and stuff in the world, if you hire this person, then you'll be able to talk to that free agent and they all have the same agents and stuff like that. There's a lot of relationships under the table here, but I think like, you know, I personally at this point in, in, you know, in time, I'm not going after LeBron. I feel like, you know, <laughs> that's too much of a circus to have one year. Even if you decide to come here, you know, he had a chance to come here years ago and I'm not chasing LeBron James. I think to get Giannis here, you probably have to hire Jason Kidd. I think Jason Kidd would be the piece that if you wanted Giannis, you hire Jason Kidd just because they had a really good relationship and he was really heartbroken when they, you know, they let him go in Milwaukee even though it was the right decision. You know, he was more like their Doug Collins, you know, to be honest with you, in terms of what he was getting out of that kid at that point. But if you wanted to get him down here, I think Jason Kidd would be the key to getting Giannis because they still talk regularly. You know, that, that would give you a little bit of advantage over Steph Curry at this point, but not too much. It'd be even. But you got to do that. The Another thing you got to figure out pretty much is uh, we would need to clean up a little bit before we go into free agency. Like some of those big contracts got to go away. You got to find a way to get rid of the guys that we should be paying, like the Felicios of the world and stuff like that. Uh, we just have to show we have to show those those free agents that we're about winning and we're close to doing something here. I think we I think we got the we got the right city back uh, city landscape to do that, but it has to be the right coach and we got to show some promise. We got to be exciting uh, this year, you know, the rest of this year, <laughs> and next year in order to get people to come here. So to open it up on LeBron, I was just looking at the cap figures from Sport Track. So LeBron actually has a player option for 21-22, and that player option is $41 million. So there's no way that he – I mean, he's not declining a $41 million player option to come and play anywhere else, let alone Chicago, for less money. And I don't think LeBron – I'm with you, Novak. I don't think LeBron is the type of player – that you even want here at this point. He's 35 years old. He's got 16 years of experience. You're going to end up paying him way too much money for really a relative lack of productivity. But it is like what you said, Novak. You've got to be able to build relationships. And that's why I think Mark Eversley, to a point that Prez made earlier, is a fantastic hire to do that because he's going to help guide the organization in terms of how to build these relationships, how to connect with players, and how really to sell the brand of the Chicago Bulls to the potential free agent, to make the Bulls cool again. Because as the last stand showed us, the Bulls were the coolest thing about all of professional sports in the United States in the 1990s. So how do you get back to that level? It starts with relationship building, and that starts with hiring the right coach. I don't think anything that we've talked about 
on this show today can happen until the Bulls hire the coach that they believe can help start that vision forward. No, I agree with that 100%. And both you guys bring up really good points here uh, as we look at uh, this situation with the team. I think internal development is going to be huge uh, for the Bulls. And that's one of the areas that you brought up earlier, Greg, uh, about AK and his time in, uh, in Denver. In that time in Denver, you see that those young players on that team developed and they were really, really uh, – they were able to come together really well here. You know, you had Jamal Murray – you had Nurkic. You had a lot of Jokic. You had a lot of these guys that grew in that system. And I think with the Bulls, I think the big thing we need to see here in this upcoming season, we need to see some development from these young players. We need to see and know what we have. Because until we know that, then there's no point of even trying to figure out what people that we can actually go after because we don't even know what we have on the current roster. And I think that's step one. I also think step two is – to piggyback off of what you mentioned, Greg, uh, the relationships. I hope that Eversley is going to be able to bring in that that fresh, um, I the fresh ideas is going to help us to be able to cultivate those relationships in the league. And maybe he'll be able to do what Theo Epstein did with the Cubs when Theo was hired in 2011, is they changed that whole culture. They tore it down and they rebuilt that thing. Um, and basically they became winners within five seasons. I think Eversley and AK are going to have to forge together like Theo and Jed did. Those guys basically from top to bottom in that organization, they, they, all they cared about was basically making sure that the culture was one of winning, uh, basically being collaborative, and they were cohesive. They all worked together well. And if that's anything that we knew about the old regime, it didn't seem like those guys were on the same page. Um, there was just a lot of just infighting, a lot of people, you know, trying to get credit where, you know, I didn't think credit was deserved. So when you look ahead to this 2021 class, I think it's going to be just really important to make sure that we're changing that culture. Did you have anything that you wanted to add on that, uh, Jules? Yeah, man, I'm going to just say, uh, man, all you guys pretty much hit it on the head. It's, it's a plethora of things, though. The, the, whole per- the whole pie is leadership, ownership, uh, the, the identity of the team, money, uh, fair grand and stuff like that. All that plays in part. Because uh, you guys said early in, 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 in the uh, episode today that Anthony Davis didn't want to come here, right? Can you guys say that? What did you ask about AD? Yes, yeah, I said you guys. AD said he, he didn't want to come here, right? I think yeah. I don't. I don't think. I don't think AD will come here. No. Um, no, I, mm-hmm. I think that, you, and I think that's just because, you know, of a lot of the things that we talked about in this episode, I just think that we've done such a bad job of just this Chicago Bulls brand that guys like him, they won't even look at, in our direction. So I don't even think that's an option well, at all. Right, and that's messed up, and because he's from here and stuff. So, like you say, we got to get together on, on the, the organization and collectively as a whole has to get together on, hey, we need to get the pieces in the that like they're doing, they, they're doing now get the pieces in the program, get the people here that these players want to want to come and play for. I mean, AD, AD might be, I'll say one thing about this one, Press. AD might be a possibility because AD is making moves right now. He put his house up for sale in LA. You know, he was, he's thinking, well, what I've been hearing from a lot of people closer to him is that he's thinking more in terms of 
you know, he he wants to see how long LeBron can like actually physically hold up at this point. Because, you know, he went out to L.A. The thing was, they thought they were going to win a championship this year. You know, and they still believe they can win a championship this year, even, you know, even if they restart, you know, later this summer. But at the same time, if they don't win it, what's the reason this guy's going to return at this point? The house is sold. He's, you know, he's living in an apartment out there. And he's back and forth between here in Chicago, with Chicago and L.A. at this point. And I think that, honestly, if, if Lowry, if Lowry um, basically improved and Wendell improved, and this guy didn't have to post up because the big thing with AD is that he doesn't want to be a big man. He doesn't really want to be a prototypical big man. He doesn't want to post up. He doesn't want he, – he, you know, he might rebound here and there. But the thing about it is he's looking for people around him to do that dirty work. This guy wants to get the baskets at this point. He wants to score. And he's a pretty efficient scorer. But if you were to put him in that front court with Wendell and Lowry, that would be awesome. I think he would help their development as much as he'll help uh, extend AD's career because AD's had a lot of neck and injuries. And you think about it, it's, it's possible. I mean, if you think about it, if he if he's willing to pull LeBron to come home and win it at home, it's very freaking possible. I think he went out there to learn how to win. That's what I personally think in that situation. It's the same thing with Brian did when he went to Miami. He went to Miami to learn how to figure this thing out. And I think AD went to LA to try to see what he can take from take from Brian. I don't think they're that close. I think they respect each other. It's not the same Wade and Brian. <laughs> this is a guy trying to take information and take it back and build his own thing at this point. Maybe Chicago might be that next place he builds at. There's no other spot itself, and you know, attractive enough right now, unless he went to the Clippers. And the Clippers right now are going to implode if they can't play this year because they got a lot of tough decisions to make on that roster financially. I think with AD, like you said, Novak, there is, we have to, as an NBA fan base, we have to make an honest evaluation of what LeBron James is at this point. That's how we get inside the mind of Anthony Davis. LeBron James is 35 years old and has played 16 years in the NBA and has a lot of miles on him. LeBron James has more tread on him than almost any player in the modern NBA, probably the most of any player in the modern NBA. So Anthony Davis at this point is looking at where can I, A, make a lot of money, and B, win a championship. He's trying to win a championship now. If he finds a way to be able to win a title with the Lakers in his year and change left in L.A., (laughs) then he'll just go sign wherever he can for as much money as he can. And that means that if the Bulls want to make a play for him, they're going to have to open up the dump truck. And I don't necessarily know if this new regime is going to open up the dump truck to be able to sacrifice the long-term development of pieces that could build into superstars. Like, realize this, guys. I'm from the Bay Area. I subscribed to the theory of Moneyball when talking about the Oakland Athletics on the baseball side of things. (laughs) So I'm always the guy that wants to see internal development because I feel like, look at, look at some of the dynasties that we've seen in the NBA internal development in San Antonio, internal development in golden state, the title that the Mavs won, that team was all built. Actually the Mavs won. No, sorry. They only won one title. They lost to the heat. I forgot uh, back in the Wade and Shaq years, but even the heat, the LeBron heatles, they still had guys 
that were complementary pieces that they built from within. It takes being able to build a core and then add the stars, not add the stars and then try and, and find pieces that you can claim to be your core. Right. No, I, I, I agree with that 100%. I mean, you guys bring up good points. I mean, Novak, yeah, I agree with you. He did put the house on the market, the house sold. But these guys are millionaires, man. They, they buy and sell houses all the time. And pretty often they do this kind of move. The reason why I'm just so hell-bent on just not thinking that it's going to happen is just I don't see him leaving L.A. I think that he and LeBron, while they're not close, I think A.D. likes the idea of basically that maybe potentially being his team going forward. And what better market to do that in than in L.A.? So I don't know. That's just the way I see it. I can see that. I can see that to a certain extent. You know, but the thing is, the, the, the nostalgia of being a Laker isn't the same as it was during Showtime. You know, to be honest with you, you know, we saw that during the Kobe era. I mean, you know, Kobe's out there, you know, if the Chris Paul trade goes down at this point, maybe he has six championships. You think about it. I mean, they pretty much stopped another run at this thing. And that kind of took some time off Kobe's, like, mental basketball life, you know, by seeing the NBA veto that uh, Chris Paul trade. But at the same time, you know, it's L.A., you know, there's a lot of factors about living in California. You know, what happens if this goes wrong? Like, you look at LeBron's situation, you know, there's things that happen. Like, if him his wife decide to part ways, L.A. is a very expensive place to have a problem like that. You know? So I look, at, I look at it from a lot of things. You look at the social things going on in L.A. You look at uh, what it costs to be a Laker mentally and physically. And maybe, you know, and AD is not the most outgoing person on this earth in terms of dealing with that type of pressure. He needs another star next to him to be that person that goes out and talks to the press. LeBron enjoys that light. So LeBron kind of shields him away from that. But Greg said, the guy is 35 years old. How much longer is he going to play? And I don't think Anthony Davis is ready to be the focal point anymore. He's more like Kawhi Leonard, you know, in that, in that regard. At least he plays more than Kawhi Leonard. These guys don't do well with media. LA is heavy on the media. You got to be a personality out there to, in order to sell your brand. And that's the reason I think he's been slow in terms of making more money off the court. You know, it's just, he doesn't have that, that thing, you know, that it thing, you know, like LeBron has that thing. Mike had that thing where people like to be around and ask some questions. You know, Anthony Davis, you're, you're asking him three questions and going good game and you're leaving the locker room at that point. So I don't know. I mean, Laker wise, I can't see him staying out there. Maybe he could possibly stay out there, but he's got to grow a lot as a uh, as, as a brand ambassador staying in LA. So, one question I'm going to just throw at you guys before we get out of here. So, if let's just say AD decides to decline that player option and he enters free agency, what does the Bulls play to basically get him to sit down and talk? What is the the thing that the Bulls are going to be able to say to him? To, that will convince him to come play here. Man, that's often the key to the city. <laughs> and then also maybe, you know, he got of course money, money makes you know, money rules everything. So you gotta give him money, you gotta be the, the, the face, the leader, everything, you'll be his team. I mean, I don't know what else you can I don't know what you can say to the guy to the the Make him come to play here. He either he wants to, or he wants to, or he don't. You know. I would like to take it a step further. I think you sell it to him as 
be the face of Chicago basketball's rebirth. Be the renaissance of this great team in this great city. And that if you are the leader of this team and the leader of basketball in the city, not just the Bulls, but the guy that represents all of Chicago high school basketball, all the state of Illinois college basketball, every middle schooler from the North Shore to the South Side that has a dream of playing in the NBA, you are the face of that. And if you accomplish taking this team to the highest of heights, you will be able to be a king in this town forever. And he'll be able to do something that Michael never did, and that's be a soul of Chicago winning in his own home city. Hey, G, what you do for a living, man? I, uh... <laughs> hey man, you, hey, 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 you need, hey, you need to, hey, whatever it is, man, you need to go to uh, the sales or, or or market or something, man, because hey, you get to get get the gab, man. We need to put you out there for the Bulls, man. Bulls need to hire you and go get these players, man. I think that if you send the message in the right way, Jules, to anybody, if you sell it in the right way, and be able to pull on the heartstrings of the three one two, then you are going to be able to bring somebody home. It's time for Chicago basketball to bring their own home. That's my thoughts. Hey, man, I'm with you. Hey, we with you, man. I like that, Greg. I, I totally agree with you on that one, Greg. I mean, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta sell this as being the king of Chicago on the basketball level. I mean, that's a very prestigious crown to put on your head at this point, considering the legacy of what's come through Chicago. Isaiah couldn't get there. Isaiah was hated on, is still hating his own city. You know, I'm a huge Isaiah fan. You know, those guys will tell you about that. And yeah, then you we, think, yeah, we know. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? We don't hold it against them, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you think about Derrick Rose is almost at the pinnacle of owning this city, and, you know, and life happened. So, I mean, one of the things you guys saw in that situation is you got to be really careful with that because, you know, we kind of didn't handle that Derrick thing the best way. And, you know, and Derek and AD are friends. And that gets a little bit bloody there. And, you know, a lot of times guys go back and look at history. Even though it's a different regime and everything, you know, one of the nice touches you might want to be able to do, if, if, you, bring, if you bring AD home and let's say Derek is still serviceable at that point in his career and able to give you like one or two years left at the tail end of his career, that's a piece you bring in here, basically, is a, is a leadership piece at this point. And that's how you, you, you might better get those Chicago guys to come home because their love for Derek is bigger than their love for the Bulls. If Derek Rose to them, you know, like, you know, I know the Jabari thing is a disaster, but Derek Rose to Anthony Davis, to a lot of those Chicago players, you know, Kendrick Nunn, that's their guy. So the thing about it is when they traded him to the Knicks, something broke again inside of them. You know, it's like what happened when Michael left. You know, we broke for a minute. But I think, you know, you got to play on that nostalgia. You got you to sell him as being the, the ambassador to basketball. We'll put wherever you want on this roster with you. If you want to bring somebody back here to the city that you think can, you know, can win a championship with you, you do it. You give Anthony Davis full, you know, full assets to that roster. You know, what they're doing with LeBron in L.A. They're letting, they're letting, they're letting these guys pick and choose who they want to play with at this point in the NBA. So, he would have to be part of the decision-making process. He had to be notified of what they're thinking in order to, in order to get him here. And then I think at that point you can get Anthony Davis. You can you can maybe pull another star with him, 
who knows? I mean, Giannis is out there. Giannis and AD might link up or the Kawhi Leonard thing scares the shit out of me because he possibly could, you know, tail right his way back to the Midwest. Because I think the Clippers, if they can't win it this year or they can't get, you know, the roster they have, there's nothing happening after this year with the Clippers. Because I think I think it's going to be too expensive out there to keep those guys together at this point. And plus they're moving into a new building. So it's going to be really interesting. I think, um, you know, you just got to cater AD and maybe even think about, you know, after basketball life, which we don't do enough of in Chicago, offer the guy a job at the basketball life. You know, like, like Dwayne Wade, you know, I don't necessarily agree bringing him back as a general manager, which he wanted that job. <laughs> but I do think start bringing some of these guys back and let them work in the office, not token jobs anymore, like the Scottie Pippen ambassador job. I want players to actually make decisions about the franchise besides Paxson. You know, Paxson was good for us, but I want bigger stars to have a role. Well, I, I, I mean, I agree with everything that you guys said there, Greg. I mean, you you pretty much knocked it out of the park. I think that is the part of the, the start of that. But at the same time, and I, this is why I just still think that we're just going to be stuck in this limbo, and I really hope that Eversley and AK can do something in this next year to, you know, change that, you know, thinking that I have. But I just don't think that we have enough people in place currently that will make this attractive internally. You guys bring up the fact that we have these frayed relationships with players that come from Chicago. That whole Derrick Rose situation still rubs people the wrong way. Think about the fact that the way these players still view the way that the dynasty was broken up. There's a lot when you think about the Bulls and the way they've treated their own. And I think that that's going to also play against them. Anthony Davis is from Chicago. He saw that firsthand from being here as a kid, you know, growing up, maybe even hearing from his father. Uh, a lot of that stuff will play into, you know, a lot of decision-making that a lot of these top guys have. So, I mean, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, this episode, man, this has been a lot of fun. I'm going to kick it over to you, Novak, where you can hit our curtain call our last segment. This curtain call goes out to the Hoop Balls, uh, Bulls podcast and Greg Mraz for pulling back the curtain with us today. Uh, this is a fun discussion. It was great to have our first guest on the pod. Uh, Greg, uh, we love having you on the show. We definitely like to welcome you back in the future. Uh, Greg, definitely I want you to uh, please tell your listeners uh, where you can find this show. And it's been awesome just uh, just talking Bulls basketball with you. You know, I, I love the way you think about the game. I love the way you you really got me going with that, that passionate speech about having Anthony Davis back here in Chicago. So I really appreciate your time this afternoon. Absolutely, guys. You know, the city of Chicago means a lot to me, even though I don't live there anymore. And I feel like sports galvanizes the people of the city. And really now more than ever, we need something to bring us together. And I'm happy to come on anytime. You guys are welcome on my show anytime. And I feel like the renaissance of the Bulls is going to be for the greater good of basketball everywhere because basketball is better when the bulls are good and it's going to take a while, but you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, so it's going to take a little while, but I have a good feeling that the Karnaschovas and Eversley, they're taking this ship in the right direction and, and I'm excited to be here for it. Uh, I hope you're right. So Greg, can you tell uh, our listeners uh, where they can find your uh, podcast? You can find us on Twitter at hoop ball bulls every word capitalized you can find it on itunes and spotify visit the rest of our basketball content at hoop 
ball.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Greg D. Mraz. That's M-R-O-Z. Uh, appreciate you guys having me on again today. Again, that is the Hoopball Chicago Bulls podcast. Search it on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks a lot. Jules, hit us with that final thought. You know, today we pretty much talk about the Bulls and what they can do to succeed and get back to the championship days. Glory. You know, the Babe Ruth said, you know, the way a team plays as a whole determines success. You may have the greatest bunch of individual stars in the world, but if they do not play together, the club won't be worth a dime. Now, my man Tyler Way said, truly behind, behind all of this is teamwork. And what does teamwork, what does it take? It takes cooperation, the willingness to fit into the strength and weaknesses of others. It takes commitment to choose to keep showing up, the decisions to keep being accountable to the needs of many. It takes contribution, the agreement that we may need each player to give up something for our own self-interest. To give on uh, on me first, to give up on me first in order to reach the height of, of, of a true team, to be truly inspired to look beyond one and see the talent of the whole team. Chris. All right, thanks for that. Episode 15, fellas, is in the books. We want to thank our guest today for jumping on. As always, thank you guys for your continued support of this podcast. You can find us on iHeartRadio. You can follow us on Spotify. And please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts. We are Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast. Thanks for listening. Peace. Check, 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 check. Hey, man.